Hello again, I'm Pete, the author of 50 Ways to Use Technology Enhanced Learning in the Classroom, and welcome to another edition of EdTech Innovators. Education first, technology second. Oh, I described Sunny Sharma as the starter of new ways to learn. I really meant founder. Sorry. Okay, I'm here with Sunny Sharma, uh, who is the, um, I suppose, the, the starter of New Ways to Learn, um, and of course is involved very strongly with Spongy Elephant, which is about resources for education, and is, um, well, we'll be discussing uh, where he sits in the sort of tech evangelist or tech agnostic debate a little bit later on. But also it's quite good to catch up with uh, Sunny because uh, we did um, speak quite a lot and drink quite a lot at best. <laughs> at best we have done, um, so let's start with um, that sort of quite simplistic question, really, about um, you know where you sit. Are you are you a tech evangelist um, to an extent, or are you a tech um, agnostic? Um, so I think I'm probably a I think I'm probably a tech agnostic actually. Um, although lots of people will say that I am constantly evangelising about about the benefits and the impact of technology in education. Um, however, I'm really quite a big fan of you know not letting the technology drive the conversations in the schools but very much focused around actually what can you do with a technology what are the outcomes um and ultimately what does it mean in terms of you know those kind of traditional school things from you know raising standards uh entertainment um uh, improving equality um so i think from my perspective the focus is very much around what what can we do with it um, as opposed to getting superly overly excited about the fact that we've got new tech that we can play with. Yeah, and, and I think that comes through in your um, keynote speeches, doesn't it? And I mean, the first time I, I met you was um, um, at, at a conference in London. It was the EIF, wasn't it called? About three or four years ago. Yeah, that's and right. I remember saying to you about last year after a few lagers that um, I, th I thought you were a really, a really charismatic speaker. And I, I think the reason why I thought you were a charismatic uh, speaker was that you were speaking to teachers in the language that they understood. You know, it wasn't it wasn't about sort of um, evangelizing about tech and what it can do. It was about how you can help teachers and how you can empower teachers. Yeah, and I think that comes from, you know, the fact that um, my first proper job was teaching you know and um having spent probably a total of about 13 maybe 13 and a half years in full-time teaching roles inside schools um i'm just a big big believer in um as kind of shiny as the tech is and you know with all the um all the flashing lights and all the you know all of the bells and whistles um ultimately in schools what happens is is that teachers go into these square spaces uh, typically close the doors and then they've got 30 kids in that classroom uh, for which tech will often cause lots of disruption but also at the same time it's kind of how do you get that dynamic to work well with technology um, so and that isn't about having a shiny new interactive whiteboard or 30 brand new Chromebooks or you know 30 iPads or VR headsets it's very much around how do you use that technology to deliver outcomes that would would otherwise not be possible or that get kids just sparking off in different ways so so yeah so I think that's my mantra really is that um, I'm a big kind of and what person so um, you know as you walk around places like Betts 
um, a few weeks ago. There's a lot of phenomenal technology. And, you know, I'm a, I am a tech guy, so I can get quite excited by all of that. Mm. Uh, but there is a big and what moment for me, which is uh, always around this idea that that's brilliant. But when a teacher walks into a classroom situation with kids who've come from different backgrounds, with, you know, they might have a difficult weekends or the challenges, how does the technology work in that environment? And how does it give the teacher the ammunition to be able to do some really quite cool stuff? Yeah, so let's talk about that. And I think um, I'm just looking at one of your uh, tweets on from, on New Ways to Learn about, uh, well, it's, it's basically you tweeted your blog about uh, what interested you about and what caught your eye. So, of course, there are some VR um, applications there, some VR products, of course. Um, and, of course, we did see quite a lot of uh, AI, didn't we? We, you know, we, 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 we did. did see some robots and the kids loved them and so on. So um, how, how do you feel about these you know, very sort of shiny, impressive um, well, are, are they even ed tech when you have these robots and VR applications or are they just um, technology that is there and very separate from the education process? Yeah, and actually I think, you know, the kind of key thing about BET is that BET spends a lot of time trying to take technology from the big wide world and make it more relevant for education. And actually, you know, we're seeing that with things like virtual reality. Um, my first experiences around virtual reality had very little to do with education. Uh, they were very much focused around um, understanding much bigger concepts. So whether that was, um, you know, largely focused around the kind of STEM engineering spaces, whereas now actually VRs, VRs being pictures being this technology that enables students to take virtual field trips. So, you know, we, we can go and look at Machu Picchu or we can take a look around the Colosseum in Rome. So, so I think actually there is, you know, shows like BET do a lot to, um, to kind of try and bridge that gap between technology and actually how it can work in education. But, but I think in my blog, um, in my video blog, what I was talking about there was when you walk around BET now, what you do see is you see, um, for example, you see lots of companies selling robots. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I can be quite discerning about, um, where they might add value in the classroom so um so i saw a robot actually I, I can't remember its name now but it's one one with a pen inside it and you could attach it to your vertical board and it would draw things on your board um mm. i love the concept <laughs> um yeah. but then i think about um how does that map across to meaningful stuff in the classroom um and, you know, they they explained lots of different scenarios and examples. They also gave me a hundred page booklet on, you know, full of lesson plans and teaching ideas. Um, but often the reality is, is that, you know, teachers just don't have time to go through all of this. You can give teachers the best possible technology and you can give them um, some amazing tools to work with. Um, but often it's the adoption of that technology that I think is the biggest barrier. You know, how easy is it to master? Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, for me, that's potentially the biggest challenge. But um, on my blog, I um, I did talk about a company called Tower Makers, uh, mm. who are in Bet Futures, um, and it was such a simple concept. You know, it was uh, it was almost like a disposable robot, and the idea with that was that um, that you build a robot, you have no instructions. That robot is quite limiting in its function, but what it does is it just gets kids kind of sparking off the imagination, so they're thinking about. You know, how can I build this? But then how can I break it and build it again? Um, and the barrier to entry is pretty low. You know, there's no training required for that. And it's really low cost as well. So 
Um, so for all of the robots and kind of STEM kits and things that were at, that were out there um, at BET, I was attracted to the one that seemed to have, what seemed to be the simplest. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, you might remember from when we when you came to the EdTech Expo in Liverpool uh, back in December yes. 2018, and one of the uh, speakers there was somebody called Caroline Keep, who's very good yeah. maker spaces. Um, yeah. She's quite evangelical, really, about maker spaces, and she yeah. brings those in, in those, those maker spaces into schools. Um, yeah, and I think. Um, do, do you think that that, without being too sort of, um, you know assertive about this do, do we think that this is this is the future that could work then where um you can try and bridge that gap of like that disconnect between school and the real world um by getting people involved in quite sort of low-tech things to guide them towards the more high-tech solutions i mean it's a, it's a bit like one of the speakers at bet um ollie de Botton, who's the head of um school 21 yeah. uh, and he was talking about the idea that um, school should be part of life and not preparation for life so oh. If kids are actually getting involved in in making stuff, even at a low tech kind of level, and when they're in school, that that that, that means that school is part of their life, isn't it? It's not about something that you do in the future. You'll learn these tech skills, you know, at, at master's level, for example, um, rather than in school. Yep, I actually, I yeah, and I think I'm in in total agreement with that because I think what often happens is that some um, schools will get quite attracted by this kind of technology, uh, whether it's maker kits or STEM kits or, or like robotics kits. Um, and then they'll take them back to their schools and then they'll try and slot them into an hour or a two hour session. And actually everything Caroline talks about in terms of the kind of maker space is that you need to leave children to make mistakes, to build and rebuild, to work together, to create something that maybe wasn't the outcome from the instructions. Um, and I think often you find that's, you know, that is the big challenge is um, to really get children using this kind of technology in, a, in an incredibly meaningful way. But then to want to kind of deconstruct it and build it again, you've got to give them longer than well, basically it's almost going to be a little bit unlimited in terms of time. Um, so when I've been out working with schools and, you know, they've got various kits from Sam Labs to the stuff from MakeBlock, um, my my suggestion is always, particularly in primary, is you have a corner of the room that is your maker space and that is a you know unbookable space where any student can go up to to continue something or to modify somebody else's thing that they might have started a few days ago so whether that's playing with lego or whether it's kind of integrating some of these some of these kits i think that's a really important bit um because then students just say you know miss can i go off and um do something in that corner and then that way, it doesn't feel like it's been slotted into a lesson because everything that I've ever done that's involved me taking things apart, you know, it's taken me weeks to put them back together, not, yeah. not a one hour slot. So, mm. so I think, yeah, weeks and weeks of problem solving and high order thinking, of course. Um, would you feel that, uh, again, this uh, apologies if this sounds like a loaded question, but do, do you feel sometimes that um, you're working against kids who have been coached on not being wrong, that the, the being wrong for them is not how they learn it, it's something that makes them feel bad? Um, yeah, I think so, actually. And I think, you know, that's 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 been a part of education for a long time. I mean, even even when I was teaching, that's what it felt like. And um, actually, I know Ollie relatively well because I um, I helped get School 21 up and running um, when I was working with one of the IT providers and I think School 21 um, works really hard and um, so my my recollection of School 21 was it was one of the first schools that I'd ever spoken to that spoke about grit 
Um, now, I know the word grit gets thrown around quite a lot, as does the word resilience, but, you know, it was a genuine part of, you know, day-to-day curriculum delivery was about getting young pupils to be able to, you know, fail and then do it again and then fail and then do it again and kind of almost learn through that kind of notion. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I think I'm in agreement with that, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so moving on from that, um, what about resources? Because I'd, I'd, I'd like to um, talk about Spongy Elephant and, and what, you've, what you're achieving with that, which is developing, you know, a pace, I have to say, it's, it's, it's looking great. Um, I mean, one thing that um, I would say uh, uh, about the resources is that they've, they've gone through, you know, some interesting iterations and now we've got something that looks, um, it looks fantastic, doesn't it, I think. So where are you up to with that now? Um, so, sorry, I just missed the, um, so the kind of sp- beginning spongy part. elephant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so spongy elephant. We're now in. Well, so we're now still in that kind of early, early phase, really. But we've been up and running for about two years. Um, we've, you know, been kind of almost bogged down with the idea of developing the platform and continued development of the platform. So, so I mean, for us, you know, we've almost reached a point where. Uh, where we have a platform that delivers what it says on the tin um, and more. Um, but yeah, no, Spongy Elephant's going really well. We've been growing our users. Um, actually, we've been growing a user base quite rapidly in terms of bringing schools on board and, you know, schools managing that kind of CPD process for for their users. Um, that's been more steady. Um, but we've got users doing everything from um, learning how to use Microsoft Office 365 and Google in the classroom through bite-sized learning videos, um, all the way through to uh, something we launched just before Christmas, which is what we call in digital workouts. Mm. Um, so these digital workouts are actually a response to um, all of the feedback we've had, which is even though we can take something um, like Microsoft Office 365 in its entirety and break it down to, say, 30 minutes of quite focused training online for teachers and for staff in schools actually there's still this age-old challenge in schools which is time um so what we've started doing now is that we've just started taking um taking good ideas and breaking them down into these kind of almost like did well basically it's like hit workouts so there is an analogy to digital fitness um and what that enables people to do is to jump in for somewhere between a minute and two minutes as often as they want and learn something new um and we've also built that around the idea of reducing workload, saving time, enlivening lessons, and then keeping in the know. Mm. Um, so for me, that's been quite useful, really, because it also helps us to take some really good content out there around things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, raising awareness around things like deep fakes, um, and giving that, giving that to our users so they feel a bit more connected to what's happening in that world. Mm. Yeah, that was, well, difficult question time now, Sonny. So <laughs> I said to Daisy Christodoulou before, who goes out and speaks to people quite a lot about comparative judgment, I said, how do you deal with the, the naysayers? So I'm thinking the picture of Mr. or Miss um, whatever with their arms folded and um, sitting in one of your sessions. And you know what's going through their mind is, well, that's really interesting, but I haven't got time. And yeah. I haven't been given any time to do this. And I, I'm not going to be given any training on this. So um, what, 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 what do you say to people like that? because they can be quite vocal can't they too they can be actually yeah and you know I'm quite fortunate because I I still work with two hats on so one is you know being able to to kind of disseminate content online through spongy elephant uh, which is very much focused around the kind of on-demand training side Um, but for example I'm also in schools I would say probably two to three times a week 
um, training up schools and everything from, um, you know, how to use the kind of digital ecosystem well to, you know, getting on with things like Chromebooks and stuff. Um, and in that environment, we get lots of naysayers. Um, and what I tend to find actually is that for everyone, there is a hook. Um, and also, whereas five years ago, I would have gone out with the title of, you know, using um, G Suite and Google Apps, actually now we're going out and we're talking about how to reduce your workload by using Google Classroom, or we might be out talking about um, how to enliven your lessons using 3D and morphing tools inside PowerPoint. So what we're now doing is we've kind of almost twisted it a little bit because I think particularly with teachers, if you can if you can find a hook that's going to make them go, this is going to save me some time, my lessons are going to feel a little bit better and I don't have to do much, then that actually works quite well. Um, I mean, it's also worth noting one big change that we've got planned for Spongy Elephant over the next uh, couple of months is one of our most popular pages um, where we get something like, you know, 50, 60,000 hits a month is uh the pupil homepage it's a primary pupil homepage mm. um and what that does is it essentially takes all of the knowledge that i've acquired alongside other other partners and associates and turn it into a single page pointing to all of the best resources that we know about that are online that require very little training um yeah. and that's a really good entry point for us actually because for example i was training at a school last night in doncaster um and um just taking them through these different tools by the end of it they were able to encourage students to uh create storyboards as part of visual literacy we looked at how to explore the world in 360 degrees you know we looked at google earth uh we dipped into um things like uh, uh being able to create music so actually young children will often write stories in schools but they won't necessarily create the music to go alongside those stories and it's all down to having access to the right tools mm -hmm. um so the things i was showing them yesterday was look i've written a story and now i can create a musical score that is a deeper learning experience um so often it's finding the right hook yeah and and, and i think that that's that's part of what, what i'd like to think is um a paradigm shift really in terms of cpd that a lot of things are changing for the better um so cpd when i was teaching i'm sure when you were teaching too yeah. was something that was very one way and it, it was a uh, very one size fits all um and most of the time it wasn't relevant to what you wanted to do in your job you know, how you wanted to develop and i think that there is more of a move towards something towards making things a bit more um you know i, I suppose bespoke really to what where people want to develop um, so if teachers can actually choose their CPD um, but make it very bite-sized as opposed to a sort of one-hour session after school when people aren't really listening anymore um, there's got to be something to be said for that absolutely and um, you know when I set out um, with Spongy Elephant the idea was always to try and try and go as bite-sized as possible I think what's interesting is over the last couple of years while we've been doing this we found that people want even more bite-sized um so and that's just solved. yeah absolutely mm. yeah interesting and that's that's a natural progression really isn't it i suppose um okay so th this this is great thank you so much uh sunny if it's okay with you uh can we talk about social media as sure. well uh, because uh, I do have an edition coming up in, in, um, in a couple of weeks' time, which is a social media special about okay. educators and social media, how they use social media and how kids 
use social media and should use social media. So really, I'll start with the obvious disconnect between that we have both observed between what kids are doing on social media a lot voraciously yep. and um, the sort of fear surrounding their mobile phones in schools. So they can't, they're, they're banned from using their mobile phones or they get them out in the classroom and annoys the teachers, of course, yep. um, justifiably. Um, and these fears about obviously cyberbullying and, and GDPR and offset and uh, everything else. Yep. Um, so how do you, um, what would you say about that disconnect between how kids are really using social media and how little they're using social media platforms as part of their education? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, there's a huge disconnect. Um, and this conversation about social media and students using their phones is, I mean, you know, probably going back about 18 years, the first time I remember that conversation, you know, we're going back to the kind of Bechter days. Mm. Um, and when I, um, in my last school, which was Ginobili City Academy, which was a very cutting edge establishment back in 2005 when we opened, um, we spent quite a lot of time talking then actually about the idea of um, students using their own devices. I mean, of course, back then, mobile technology wasn't as prevalent, but students had iPods and they had mm. Nintendos. Um, and it's interesting because we have the same challenges now. And I think, I think you know, I do um, I do a number of workshops for students uh, in schools, um, which focuses around the use of everything from Discord to TikTok, and it speaks about um, you know the way students communicate in applications like Minecraft and uh, Fortnite. Um, and I think what's interesting is that most of this language and most of these environments are completely alien to schools. Yeah. Um, so I think the disconnect is now even worse because, um, you know, schools will often talk to young people about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. The reality is that most young people will spend their time on other social platforms that schools don't necessarily spend any of their time on. You know, schools will have Facebook pages and Twitter accounts um, and they'll use YouTube, um, but they won't know about these other spaces. And I think that's where some of the danger lies. Um, and I think to really bridge that gap, there needs to be done. Uh, there needs to be more done in schools um, to get teachers more familiar with these environments. Now, of course, some of the challenges are when you're in a school, and I go into schools all the time, where I'll try and get onto these sites, and they're all blocked. Um, yeah. And the only way I can demonstrate the potential, but also then the dangers of these sites, is to use my own hotspot. Um, right. So, I mean, there are challenges around. Um, what schools understand as being the places where students are on. Mm -hmm. um, so if I take my own son, for example, you know, he's not on Facebook. He's briefly on Twitter because of Love Island recently. Um, and he's on Instagram, but he spends most of his time, I would say, on Snapchat, TikTok, you know, uh, he, he'll use Twitch. Uh, he obviously uses YouTube and Discord and sites like that. Um, and those are all a bit of an unknown to schools. And yeah, and they always will be. There's, there is, a, I suppose, with a sort of existential. It feels like an existential crisis for teachers to an extent because you know we we can't control what kids are looking at anymore. I mean, back in the old days, of course, um, we could wheel out a, a video and, and show them something from the television in a very controlled way. Uh, whereas there is no control at all. If we say let's have a lesson on TikTok, we no. the, the kids will take control, and that that's a form of anarchy, really, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, there is a way to to build the right, um, I mean, I'm not sure the, um, whether it's the word skill sets or to build the right, um, the right attitude towards things like social media. So, for example, lots of schools are using um, Microsoft Teams and they're using OneNote for collaboration and they'll use things like uh, Google Classroom um, and some of the tools inside Apple School Manager. Um, and I think what's interesting there is, is that um, there is an opportunity to give the students some freedom to be able to start to understand the impact of things like digital footprint. And um, when they're writing messages to each other, you know, to kind of almost stage some of this so that students are thinking carefully about what it is that they're writing to these platforms. Because yeah. um, I think, you know, with social media, it's two or three things really, but one is around uh, almost the courtesy or, or the right attitudes in terms of the kind of messages that they write. And then is this kind of next step, which is around video and and images um so yeah so i think there is this there is an opportunity to do some of this inside schools but i think schools um also get quite bogged down with the idea that actually this is online safety so we'll do it on the one day one day a year in february um and it's not something that's kind of taught you know it, it isn't delivered to, to students in the way it should be uh, because it's such a prevalent part of their lives Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's a, a, an analogy, really, is imagine if uh, every every issue to do with, say, knife crime or sex education was, was brought into your classroom yeah. tomorrow. How would you deal with it? it it's this, this massive monster that's so much bigger than um, what you're trying to teach. And, and uh, but it's in the kids' heads, of course, which is uh, very challenging. So we're not going to solve this quickly, are we? Um, mm-hmm. What about your social media uh, activity and how social media have helped you as, as a professional? Um, yeah, so um, I'm one of those people, actually. So I jumped on to, I mean, in, like in terms of big social media stuff, I actually jumped on after, probably towards the end of my kind of, you know, full-time teaching career. Um, so I haven't really had the same benefits that maybe um, some of the kind of superstars, you know, like superstar educators you see on, on social media right now. Um, in that back then, the way we spoke about what we were doing was through organizations like the SSAT and Bechter um, and organizations like that, really. Um, but in terms of how I use social media, you know, my kind of go to my go to platforms are LinkedIn um, largely for the kind of professional side of things. Um, I have a number of different social media accounts, uh, particularly on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's kind of twofold, really. One is um when you're running a business, there is an opportunity to look at how you can kind of reach out and share some of the good ideas that you've got um, to kind of grow that business. And actually, I think LinkedIn's been more useful than all the other social media platforms for that. Um, and then I think things like uh, places like Twitter, for me, Twitter, Twitter for me, probably, you know, I mean, yeah, actually, I think t- Twitter for me is just a good way to um, kind of almost stay connected to the audience that I'm probably no longer part of as a ex-teacher. Um, so I do like to go into Twitter, actually, just to see what's, what the profession is talking about. Um, and I mean, I was on Twitter just a couple of just a couple of days ago when I was reading something about um, there, there was a new teacher, actually, uh, probably a, a kind of relatively new teacher to the profession and and, and she's talking about her day um, and the challenges of you know students being in a classroom disruption uh, having to manage you know a kind of cohort of 30 students uh, and dealing with the day-to-day challenges and then going home and doing all the assessment piece now um, that that particular uh, person only had about a thousand followers 
but she'd managed to create such a huge kind of community of interest in a matter of moments um, who were empathizing with her and providing good advice and good ideas. Um, so I think by by the end of it, you know, she'd got almost 700 uh, retweets and well over a thousand likes. And I think I think there's an opportunity for for teachers in the profession now to really start to grow a community of people that they wouldn't normally have any access to. Um, mm. So, but I, but I also think there's not enough teachers on on those social media platforms. I think a lot of teachers will be on Facebook and Instagram, but they won't necessarily be on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and I think they're missing something there, actually. Yes, and it would be nice what you talked about with um, somebody getting a lot of empathy, if you like, uh, for an idea. It would be nice if that you know, fleeting virtual empathy actually translated into you know sustained real empathy. Uh, I mean, it's really good that people like Ross Morris and McGill are very involved in, in trying to change things for the better on social media. Yes, of course. In teaching through social media and through his websites, of course, Teacher Toolkit. Um, but yeah, um, that's interesting. Would you consider, apologies if this is a, a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway. Would you consider yourself an influencer, Sonny? Um, not really. No, not on social media, actually. Um, I mean, I just don't have the time to, put, you know, put in the effort to kind of almost grow that. Um, and, you know, I put my hand up and say that um, I'd probably say about 30 to 40 percent of what, what hits my social media channels um, is automated in some way. You know, there are some amazing automation tools out there. And actually what they do is um, I can plug in what I'm interested in and what they plug out is uh, useful content. Now, you know, that forms two things really one it um one it you know gives me an opportunity to try and understand what the people that i'm connected to are interested in um but also at the same time what it does is it kind of helps me to keep my finger on the pulse a little bit you know so um and you know in the past that might have been automatically sending out tons of tweets but you know now it's kind of limited to one and then i'll see see what kind of interactions are, uh, are on that and if anything it helps me to then inform content that we're creating for spongy elephant um all for other platforms so so um do i think i'm an influencer uh, i think in certain circles yes but i wouldn't say necessarily on social media and i'm basing that just on um followers and you know probably the amount of um, interaction i have with social media um i think if i had more time if i could dedicate every morning to social media i think i would have a very different impact mm. uh, or at least i'd feel like i would anyway yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's just looking at your uh, Twitter now, and of course I am uh, distracted by the weekly distraction of Tongue Out Tuesday, of course. But um, yeah, absolutely, yes, that's that's the big news. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do, do you think that if somebody actually declares himself as an influencer, then um, there is a whiff of the snake oil snake oil salesman um, there? Yeah, I think so. Actually, you know, and um, when you walk around bets and um, you know, when you walk around bet, and of course, there's lots of influencers that are in this space. Um, I mean, I've I've been in the ed tech space since I started teaching. My background is in computer science, and I mean, I've always worked in IT. Um, my PGC wasn't design and technology, but I very quickly moved into the IT space, and you know, within a year, I was head of IT in the school. So, so my background has always been IT based, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's always that risk um, that. Um, uh, the influencers actually are supporting particular products or services because you know that that's what they've been kind of brought in to talk about. Um, whereas I I would say I'm 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 relatively unbiased really. Mm. Um, I have lots of different hats on and I will happily talk about the thing that I feel 
is going to have the most impact um, as opposed to the new shiny object or the new, you know, kind of brand new service. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm coming at it from a very different angle as somebody who's a, you know, an English teacher at heart and somebody who um, is very much uh, pedagogy first, te- you know, technology second. Um, but Google Suite, you know, G Suite, Google Docs and so on, that's made my life so much easier. It really has. Absolutely. And I always feel evangelical uh, about that. I wouldn't have written a book without Google Docs. It's, it's got to be said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to organise all of the content. Uh, it, it's made my life so much easier. And Google Slides as well for presentations, so much easier. Absolutely. And, you know, I think just getting back to the original question, you know, which was around um, am I an evangelist um, or the other option? Um, you know, um, I, I absolutely agree. I, um, I talk to schools all, all the time about Google Classroom and I'll go into schools where they will say, um, or, you know, sh- should we go Google or Microsoft? And I'm almost like, well, you know, that's almost the wrong question. The question is, what would work best in the amount of time you have available? How much time can you offset in terms of training? And also, what do you want out of it? You know, if you're looking at reducing the cost of your devices over the next five years, well, going Google does help because Chromebooks are incredibly low cost, cheap devices. Um, but there are certain tools, you know, people ask me to compare Microsoft Teams and OneNote to Google Classroom. And you know, hands up, it's Google Classroom every single time for me because of the simplicity that comes with that. Um, but then there's also lots of other tools that I will evangelize about because I think they save people time. Uh, they save people time, but also they help um, students and teachers to do things that wouldn't otherwise be possible, you know, mm-hmm. not, in a, not in an easy way anyway. So, so I'm a big fan of some of those things as well. Yeah, and um, do you think that teachers should um, continue to be suspicious of um, the tech giants and um, and to feel like I did at BET, that I was walking around and while I was recording my podcast, I was saying that there were many representatives from the tech giants who are delivering presentations and training sessions, and they look a bit like children's television presenters, you know, they're, they're uh, <laughs> <laughs> brightly coloured clothing, very casual, uh, brightly coloured trainers and so on, and t-shirts, and uh, they always looked um, very sort of happy and uh, a little bit zany. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about things being super cool and and, and so on. Um, so do do you think we should we should we, we teachers should, should you know, fear the march of the tech giants? Um, I think so actually, and I think you know we've reached a point where it's very easy to just go big and you know just go well actually everything we do is Microsoft or Google or Apple. Um, and I purposely this year with my uh, kind of best of bets, you know there was a disclaimer right at the start which says look I've included nothing at all with any of the big guys, uh, with the exception of HP, um, because they do such a good job. You know, they yeah. do such a good job of talking about everything that they offer schools and, you know, the kind of cost of entry is incredibly low. And um, so they do a good job already. They've got some fantastic products. Um, but I think when you go to places like Bet, you've got to almost you know, do that in the morning and then spend the next two days meeting everyone else because there is some phenomenal stuff out there. And I think a lot of people can't compete. Um, well, actually, I think most people can't compete with the big guys at all. Um, but I think, you know, at the same time, you've always got to come back to those questions. When we when we think about in a kind of world obsessed about GDPR and data and data security, uh, data security and like rightly so, um, all of the free stuff, ultimately means that you're giving something up and in many cases that is data that is habits it is um you know, you know 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so many, so many touch points, you know, so many touch points day to day, which provide data back to these organizations. And I think you've got to ask yourself quite a serious question, which is, which is, you know, do you mind that enough to go, I don't mind because I, I, I enjoy using those products and services. So for example, you know, like WhatsApp, I know WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, WhatsApp is aggregating huge amounts of data. Um, but WhatsApp is a real savior for me in terms of both my personal and professional life. It enables me to communicate with my kids. Um, and WhatsApp is a fantastic tool. So I've made a concise decision which says, I'm willing to get my head around the fact that there is some data, well, a lot of data that's moving around because this is a good service. If WhatsApp turned around tomorrow and said, Sonny, we're going to you know, use none of your data at all, none of your habits and stuff, but we're gonna charge you 10 pounds a month, I, I wonder whether I would pay ten pounds a month for that service. So, yeah. So I think, um, yeah. So I think you've got to, you've got to um, see what the big guys are doing because they are doing some great stuff. I mean, Office three six five, as a platform, just keeps getting better and better and better. It just keeps giving and giving. You know, I do a lot of training in Office three six five, and I just don't know when to stop because there was so much stuff inside it. Most people don't get off Outlook. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff inside Office 365. So you can't ignore it. But I do think people, you know, people have to get past that. And they have to see past the kind of bright shirts and the trainers and the skinny jeans and um, and go talk to some people who are trying to kind of squeeze squeeze through but can't do sometimes. That's right. And, and the, the, of course, these products affect your day to day experiences. So, for example, organizing this uh, interview with you, Sunny, today, um, certain products worked very well and certain didn't. Certain products didn't. And that involves the, you know, the, the software, the hardware and, and everything else. Um, yeah. So you're talking about teachers in stressful situations here. So if the tech doesn't work, then um, absolutely it's stressful. Absolutely. Well, they're actually. Um, Actually, I was just going to say on that, actually, um, Anchor, which is what we tried to use at the start of this. Um, I've been into some schools recently where I've been talking about podcasts um, and it's moved from the idea of kind of radio. So lots of schools have or not lots of schools, but many schools have kind of had some kind of radio provision. Um, and Anchor for me has been that first step where you can say to schools, actually, you can now go from doing a kind of weekly radio show via Anchor, so you don't need any fancy tools at all, um, to distributing that onto Spotify and Apple Music and so on. And then for parents at home to ask Alexa to play the school radio uh, via, via, well, the school radio podcast via Spotify. And I think what's interesting there is the idea of podcasting has always been a quite a big one for schools because of, you know, expensive equipment and stuff like that. Whereas now, you can get families interacting with podcasts on their Alexa or Google Home devices. And I think that's that's the part of the kind of technology space that I absolutely love. You know, it's um, there are barriers that just get broken down, which enable schools to get much better reach on things like podcasts and radio shows. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if I go back to my uh, background as an English teacher, um, if voice is the future, then, of course, yep. oracy is currency. Absolutely. Yeah, obviously, it's increasingly important, isn't it? Oh, um, even if you are just you know, trying to uh, ask Alexa to do whatever you want Alexa to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sonny. It's been, it's been great talking to you, uh, as, as always. Um, and I hope to catch up with you soon. Um, and stay on the line after the interview, and I'll have a very quick chat with you. Uh, but I'm off to celebrate Tongue Out Tuesday now. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, I'm, I've got some bids to work on. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> yes, that might happen a bit later. Who knows? Uh, thanks for having thank me. So much.
<laughs> All right. Well, catch you soon. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be joined by Marielle van der Meer, who's starting up the London Interdisciplinary School, which is a whole new kind of university. And we'll think about the role of technology in such an institution. Thank you very much. See you next week.